everybody and welcome to Shut Up and Sit Down, the podcast. It's the official podcast of the YouTube channel Shut Up and Sit Down. On the YouTube <laughs> channel we talk about board games. On the podcast we talk about board games. Our lives are more full than that, but mm. not. you wouldn't know it from listening to the content that we make. My name is Quinton Smith and I am joined today by Tom Brewster. My life isn't any more full than board games will allow. Yeah, no, actually, my life is a sort of like a, a variety of riches. Uh, a Bayo tapestry of enjoyment. If you were to sort of like unroll my life like a comic book, uh, like the Bayo tapestry, you would see pictures of me going on walks, uh, mm-hmm. uh, watching TV, um, dare I say it, making love. Um, yes. And you would just you're, you would just be playing board games the whole time. It would just be like one incredibly long image of me hunched over a Frosthaven insert. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've been uh, you started playing Frosthaven, the sequel to we should exp- the sequel to what is popularly considered by many the greatest board game of all time. Yeah, Gloomhaven. Oh. I was thought you were going to say the se- the sequel to what is popularly considered Gloomhaven. Um, <laughs> yeah, I have been, but I can't talk about it at all until like mid December. Uh, it's all secret for now. I mean, oh. there's like things I can't be bothered to check the like little embargo note that we got sent, but presumably I can't talk about what I've seen. Um, except for like, you know, there's still cards, uh, there's still dungeons, um, there's still well, monsters. <laughs> so, oh, right. Uh, do you fight the monsters still? Can you say <laughs> oh, well, that Well, I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't tell you. Ah, Frosthaven could be a game about uh, defrosting the relationships between heroes and monsters once and for all. And just I would play that making friends. in a heartbeat. When will they release a game that lets us talk to the monsters? We still don't know. On this podcast, you have got a very special treat because uh, this doesn't often happen on the Shut Up Sit Down podcast, but we're exclusively talking about great new board games on this podcast. That's right. Tom and I have played stuff and they've passed muster for once in our horrible, spiteful lives. We're going to be talking (laughs) about Heat, Pedal to the Metal, uh, which Tom recently did a video review of, and we're going to be talking about Undaunted Stalingrad, which I recently did a video review of. And we're giving it more coverage on this podcast because Tom and I have more things to say about these games that we love so very, very much. Yeah, I've got like four or five things to say about both of these games. Um, I, have, I have one thing to say about Heat, so should we do a sting and get into it? And I and Yeah, I let's can... get into it. Tom, do you want to explain to people what Heat, Pedal to the Metal, published by Days of Wonder, is, so I can say my one thing about it? Yes, yeah, I'll, I'll tell the listeners at home what Heat, Pedal to the Metal, published by Days of Wonder and designed by Sidekick Studio, Sidekicks Asger and Daniel, is. It's a racing game where you're driving a car really, really, really fast around a track. So what this game is, is kind of like a miniature little deck builder. You've got this big stack of cards that range from one to five, or sorry, zero to five in movement. And on your turn, you're going to perform this set of steps, which involves, firstly, choosing your gear. You can crunch up into whatever gear that you fancy, and you're going to then use that gear to play a number of cards from your hands. If you're in third gear, you can play three cards from your hand. You'll add up the total of those. So let's say you played three cards worth seven movement, and then move your car seven steps forward on the track. And now that seems really simple. That seems like a really easy thing to do. All you're going to do is pick up cards and play cards. Oh, but there's so much lovely little nuance in this in this little number. Um, I sort of, in the video, I sort of break this down into four pillars of heat. Um, but then that sort of gets derailed because all the pillars are kind of interwoven in, in fun and interesting ways. Right. The first pillar is corners. If you go too fast around a corner, you're going to take a bunch of heat. Heat doesn't seem so bad. It's really bad because heat are these big, red, horrible cards that go into your discard pile and they get cycled back in uh, to your deck and they're just junk. You can't play them. You can't move with them. You can't discard them at the end of your turn. They're just gumming up your hand. So you have this generous hand of seven cards at the start of the game, but frequently you could cut that down to a hand of like four cards or maybe three. And then like if you're in third gear, there's no choice on what cards you have to play because you've only got three actual cards that you can play on your turn, which is nasty. But then sometimes you might want to take heat on purpose because the second thing that you can do is you can boost. You can, on your turn, at the end of every single turn, you can boost your car. You can take a heat voluntarily to move a random number of spaces because you're going to just flip a card off the top of your deck. And the decision that I love there is that, yes, you're just flipping a card completely randomly off the top of your deck and you're moving that fast, but... If you sort of remember the probabilities, if you can game them well enough, you can be pretty certain that that card is going to give you a lot of movement, making the heat taken worth it. 
And then you've got things like slipstreaming, where you can sort of slide behind a car and get a little bit extra movement if you can predict where your opponents are going to go. And you've also got cooldown, which is the way that you get heat out of your deck, but you can only do that uh, when you're in a nice, low, cozy gear. So there's this real game of like tempo and, well, speed and racing that's kind of... you're, you're Okay, here's the thing. I'm, I've spent a lot of words sort of not really getting to the core of what this game is. What it is, is risk the game. Not to be confused with Absolutely. the board oh, game yeah. risk. <laughs> <laughs> what you do is you put these tiny little soldiers on the, on the board. On your car. And you push yeah. them around on your little car. No, let's not be silly. You're constantly managing risk of your car. You're constantly pushing your car to the limit. You're trying to fill it with as much heat as possible. Because if you cross the line and your engine isn't full of heat, you've played the game wrong. Oh, sorry, it isn't empty of heat because you take heat out of your engine and put it into your hand. A little confusing when you think about it too much. But it's, yeah, you're, it's every single turn you are just absolutely pushing your tiny little car to the limit, screeching it across the line, looking at corners, being like, can I take like four heat going around this corner and save myself a whole turn? It's really good. It's a really good game. Uh, you've reminded me of one of the very charming rules, which is in addition to the fact that you kind of, you want your engine to be absolutely mullered when you cross the finish line. Otherwise, like, what were you doing? Um, mm. But also the rules for like, uh, the way that corners work of, if it's a very tight corner, maybe you have to stop once or twice in the corner. Um, and so if you rock it through the corner without stopping, then that represents you go too fast and your car spins out. That rule <laughs> is ignored when you cross the finish line. So in, in the head cannon of heat, like people will shoot over the finish line straight into a corner at 90 miles an hour and pancake into a wall and be declared the winner. Uh, yes. Which, which I love. I told you, though, I had one thing to say about Heat. I love Heat. Here it's we a go. great game. Uh, I uh -huh. love that you can customize your deck with special cards, so everyone's car is different. I love you can play a championship. I love there's demented stuff like um, uh, Press Corner, where mm -hmm. like there's one corner of the race where people will take photos of you, so you want to like do like a cool skid through there, um, <laughs> or just pass through it at incredible, incredible speeds. And if you do that, then you get more sponsorship, which is a whole weird mechanic. The thing I have to say... And you knew it was coming, Tom. You knew it was coming, Tom. Heat's a great yep. game. I love it. I would own it. Heat, the race game by Sidekick Games, is not as good as Flam Rouge, the race game by Sidekick Games. They are very similar. And I, I'm, I'm fully ready for you to disagree. Oh, I can hear yawning or yelling or something. Some kind of childish squeal from my co-host. Yeah, just yeah. that's about right. Yeah, I would just, this is a childish squeal. I don't need to know the details of it. Okay, great. Kind of just a guttural displeasure. Um, okay, so here's what I'll say about Heat. It's got more rules and nuance than Flam Rouge. It's prettier than Flam Rouge. It, in, in general, in terms of what you get in the box, is more exciting than Flam Rouge. But in terms of... Oh, do you remember when you and I were playing that campaign of Undaunted Stalingrad and you just said you loved the motion of Undaunted Stalingrad? So you didn't have some of yes. the problems that I did because you just love deck building and you love having a little deck and you love drawing a little hand of cards and playing cards. Yes. Um, that's how I feel about Flam Rouge. So, like, whereas in Heat, you're thinking about, you know, the heat entering your engine and stopping in a corner and how to upgrade your engine and slipstreaming. Flam Rouge is just a game of slipstreaming and timing. It's much mm. simpler, the rules are much shorter. Um, but the but the play of cards, which is really these two games really share so much DNA. Um, uh, the, the play of cards in Flam Rouge is just a delight, and I never get tired of it. Um, and I don't know if I felt quite the same way about Heat. I really liked Heat, but when I finish a a, a, a like a, a what's the what's the not Grand Prix God when a I finish Tour de France a, a Tour de France in um, in Flam Rouge <laughs> that's the I standard unit of cycling. Yes, when I finish one or two tours de France or 0.7 tour de France um, in Flam Rouge, I'm just excited to like play it again in a few months. And I didn't quite right. feel that way about Heat. I had a blast, but I wasn't like, oh my god, when can I do another tournament? I, it's this is going to be a sort of tricky pod discussion because I've only really played Flam Rouge twice. But I will say that I never got that feeling of being kind of desperate to play it again. Whereas with Heat, I think as I mean, maybe I just really, really like like deck building. And Heat is not is sort of deck building, it's sort of hand management, because you don't really have that much choice about how you build your deck. It's more just, I guess, is it like deck management? I don't know how you'd categorize it. But 
I never had that feeling of finishing Game of Flam Rouge and being like, oh, I want to I wanna play that right again. Whereas with Heat, I was pretty keen to play it every single time I got it out of the box. And that's rare for me, right? Like, it's rare for us as a site because of how many games we sort of play and how much we get through for review purposes. It's very rare to sort of just be wanting to play a game because we want to play a game. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Heat, I was just desperate to get it to the table every single time. But then I can't really justify why in comparison to Flam Rouge because I've only played Flam Rouge like twice. Yeah, I, I won't be <laughs> I won't be a dick and lord the fact that I've I've played a lot of Flam Rouge over you in this debate. Um, but like, um, you know what Flam Rouge really is actually It's like Heat is a race is a, is a car racing game and it's the best car racing game that the board game scene has seen in a long time. And I can't wait to see how they expand Heat. I'm hoping they release a bunch of expansions for it. Um, because uh, Days of Wonder uh, and uh, Sidekick Games both like expansions, so hopefully Heat will sell well. Good luck with your review, Tom. Godspeed. Um, <laughs> but uh, the th but it's not quite the same as Flam Rouge. What Flam Rouge is, and I was thinking about this last night as I lay in my bed uh, alone because my wife's away. What what happens in my bed when my wife's away? I think about the podcast discussions I'm about to have the next day. <laughs> apparently. But um, what Flam Rouge In the Bayo tapestry of your life, there is a detailed depiction of you lying in bed thinking about board games, though. Yeah, which, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. which is kind of like the lame part of the of the tapestry. Yeah, no, yeah. I, the historians prefer not to, to focus on that part. Um, and then, like, <laughs> revisionist historians discover it. They're like, Quinn, is actually boring. Um, what Flam Rouge almost has more in common with, and this is another game I don't think you've played much at all. So there's a, <laughs> one of the oldest, most like uh, famous and long-lasting card games of all time is called Cribbage. And I sort of used Cribbage as a punchline before I'd played it because it's an intrinsically funny, funny and old-sounding card game. But when I played yeah. it, I found it like, it's fascinating. You can see why it's been around for so long and it's bizarre. But Cribbage has a little board with little wooden pegs that is like, you could play Cribbage with a piece of paper. But the board mm. is is so fundamental to the game. Anyway, um, Flam Rouge almost reminds me of Cribbage in that even though it has this big winding track with plastic bicyclists racing down it, um, the the board itself is almost a distraction. And really what you're doing is playing an unbelievably tight casual card game, almost like Wizard or something. Right. Um, and whereas what, um, what I... You remember how when we were playing Heat, Pedal to the Metal... I was getting frustrated because regularly, like, it, it's such a dorky card game that it's like, oh, well, what happens if I use my Nitro on Press Corner? You know, like, mm. we would constantly encounter these little crunchy rules queries because it's full of theme. It's full of, um, it, it's that Ameritrash design. And I'm glad that Psychic Games have made that. But, like, I, I just wonder if they're better at making really tight card games than they are at making, like, super janky thematic boxes. I would say that the base game of Heat has a lot of that like very core, crunchy, intense card game energy to it without bringing in all the expansion stuff. And I and I wonder if Flam Rouge is a little bit in its its own sort of is it called the Peloton expansion or the oh, one that makes it into a championship? Or? From, uh, the championship comes in the box by default, but then Peloton right. adds like extra stuff. There's also the Meteo, which adds weather, which is right. like I, I use this as an example, but the I was so disappointed when I first um opened the weather expansion for Flam Rouge because what it'll do is like one tiny strip of the course, like, you know like 10% of it 75 long there's a bit of rain on it and I was like that barely changes the race at all it's not true the card game in Flam Rouge is so tight that knowing there is a tiny sprinkle of rain <laughs> like 20 miles down the track changes how everyone cycles because no one wants to be last going into the rain right um, so anyway I, I think like yes the core gameplay of Heat the, that, that raw card game if you play Heat with none of the expansion modules it's good but I think it's like it's an it's a seven out of ten card game compared to Flam Rouge's nine out of ten. And then what makes Heat up to an eight out of ten, in my humble opinion, is all of the like, you know, like fun extra modules that you can bolt on that come in the box. I almost prefer, like, I really do like the championship stuff, and it has like really changed how I approach Heat. Like it's the sort of I say in the review that it's the thing that sort of gives it longevity to stay on your shelf for like a good long while, is the fact that you have all these different ways of approaching the puzzle. But I do find that core puzzle like ferociously satisfying. We're probably gonna, you know, we talk about this in the Undaunted review as well, um, where we got really into Undaunted Stalingrad and would be thinking about the sort of strategy of the game in the shower the next day being like, oh, geez, why yeah, did yeah, I yeah. do why'd I do that? 
I did feel that way about the card playing heat. Like there's little nuances and like ideas that sort of pop into your head every single time that you play about how to better um, sort of take those corners, how to better get the edge on your opponent. Um, and th yeah. There's a lot there. And I do think that maybe you're, maybe you're underplaying how strong the card play is in heat. I don't, I don't, you know, there was, uh, I really, ah, uh, I, maybe I just don't get nuance as well. Cause I, <laughs> I don't, I don't remember really being bowled over by the card play in Flamme Rouge. Maybe I need to go back. Maybe I need to play it with some folks who are going to go like, Ooh, now you see, if you play your six here, the, the uh, I don't know. I'm just I trying am to now, impersonation of I, you, but I'm failing. I am now going to age. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you. I don't know if you failed. Um, I am now going to age myself by like at least seven or eight months in just saying this. But like, when I was your age, oh, uh, here we go. I like, but for real, like I, the, there's the chrome and the maximalism and um and like, and people to the metal is so exactly that. It's beautiful. It's splashy. It's messy. It's crunchy and. Like, the, the, and Flamme Rouge is, is really just a question of whether your opponent's going to play a six versus a seven. It's like, you know, we talk about, it, it's, Flamme Rouge ha, has the sort of, the raw, earthy beauty, as card games go, of something like Skull, in my right. humble opinion. And I think, I, sound, he, I, I just don't know if he does. But It sounds thing, like I need to go back to give Flamme Rouge another go. I think you should, but here's the thing, you're going to get the opportunity to do that, and tragically, we're going to have to have this debate more <laughs> because um, Flamme Rouge is about to receive a huge expansion that I played in Prototype and Phase um, when I was at a con forever ago and is now finally coming out. In 2023, we're going to get Flamme Rouge Grand Tour, wow. which adds all of the campaign elements to Flamme Rouge. And then also, I believe we've got Flamme Rouge BMX, which is an entirely separate standalone <laughs> game. So I, as a Flamme Rouge head, or as the Flamme Rouge community say, a Flamme Rouge-ster, that's not... <laughs> Um, I'm going to be getting all these games. I'm going to be desperate to play them and add them to my collection of Flamme Rouge. And I'm sure Heat is going to continue getting expansions. So I think, like in a sort of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure style, you and I are going to be having this kind of fight for, for years to come as to which of these that, games is better. I'm quite excited for that. I like these systems. I like these games. I'm in. Nice. I mean, I'm, I look, I'm going to keep playing Heat and I'm going to keep thinking, oh, yeah. This, this is not as good, is it? It's not as good. <laughs> but, but I really like Heat. I'm going to keep playing Heat. And also, this is us being like so combative considering both of these games are basically the same system from the same designers. Like, it's, <laughs> the, the DNA shared between them is crazy. We are, we are just nitpicking. I like that we opened this podcast being like, we're going to talk about two great games that we really like and then immediately disagreed about how, exactly how great the first game is. Well, I think we're just about to go into another discussion of how great the next game is. Would you care to slap a sting in? Uh. I was going to say that my, so my only, uh, my anecdote for Heat, by the way, uh, was that I'm really bummed out that in the review I didn't include the joke that I, I've got scribbled on a post-it note because I thought about it like at like 2am in like a dream or something which is where like it will be a bit where I go right it's time to play heat pedal to the metal and then I like turn to the camera and it snap zooms and I go it's time to get racist and then it slam cuts to a HR <laughs> meeting <laughs> oh. Oh, and that's that's <laughs> not in the video you're telling me now. That's, Unfortunately that's, not. Oh, man. Speaking of uh, people who might be racist, you and I went to Stalingrad in World War II uh, <laughs> over the last few weeks. We played 15 games of Undaunted Stalingrad, the new campaign box for the Undaunted system in which two people play World War II together and... What happens when you play World War II? People get shot. Um, we've talked about Undaunted so much that I'm loath to describe it again, but in like under 20 seconds, Undaunted is like a dudes on a map running around town shooting at one another um, war game while also being a deck building game in which you put soldiers into your deck and then when they get shot, they are removed from your deck and put into a grave. Um, oh, I know. I, oh, no is right. I have just uh, finished uh, editing a long uh, an interesting review of Undaunted Stalingrad which you and I played um, and so you can go and look at that on uh, the how channel many times did we play YouTube it again channel. how many times did you played it again 15, 15 times 15, 15 games, games in two weeks it's the it's the 
like there were times in our campaign where it was where you and I had the discussion of like we could stop here and probably film the review. But you know what? You and I said we're having too much fun. Let's just finish it. Let's just yeah. squeeze it out. Let's squeeze out those last few evenings. Mm. Um, and you know, well, I've published a whole review where uh, <laughs> where I've talked about it, and, and Tom appears in that review, and it's funny. And uh, he looks his costume as a Soviet soldier looks incredibly accurate. It's really wild. Um, I was not expecting that to come together as well as it did. Uh, and I was but, surprised that you had a Nazi costume just on deck. Just lying around, yeah. Um, it's crazy. But uh, this is a big box. There's a lot going on. So uh, you and I thought we would do a spoiler cast. If you don't wow. think you're going to play on Dante Stalingrad or you don't care about spoilers. Um, or you've already played it. Or you've already played it. I didn't think of that. That's good. That's, that's a good one. Um, then in a little bit, we're going to flag, whoa, hey, turn off the podcast now because we're going to get into spoilers. Um, but before we get to that, is there anything you wanted to say about Undaunted Stalingrad? I feel we've, you and I have just spent so long talking about this game for the last like few weeks. I know, we have. Although I, I wonder if me and you have talked about it a lot between us, but we haven't really shared those thoughts outside of the review. But then I think those thoughts boil down to like, yeah, of course it's really good. Because yeah. it's, it's a campaign system, it just elevates the Undaunted the ideas that were already present in Undaunted Normandy, in Undaunted North Africa, and just elevates them into this sort of grander form that, I don't know, it just, it just takes the idea and runs with it, maybe, is the best way of putting it. I think it, it, yeah, and then my, what I spend a lot of time in the review talking about is like, um, I think there's hardly a system in Undaunted that wouldn't be made more exciting by the campaign, and I don't know if they uh, maximise Undaunted's potential as a campaign game. Um, I was thinking like, Oh, I, I don't know. This is I, I, clearly I'm incredibly excited by the format of what if Undaunted was a campaign game because I'm still thinking about it. But Tom, so <laughs> many of those thoughts are I wish they had done this rather than I thought it was so amazing how they did X. Um, uh, and uh, before we even get into spoilers, you know what I realized is like you and I were so confident being like, ah, oh, now Undaunted Stalingrad is the best box and it absolutely earns its ninety pound price tag. All of which is true. But you know mm. what I forgot when I went and researched it is like, there is still a very good case for buying Undaunted Normandy or Undaunted North Africa. Not because they're better, but because they are so cheap. Undaunted oh, Normandy yeah. being £30, that's yeah. that's a fantastic bargain. That's it's a very great. good deal. I, I'd almost suggest that people, I mean, if people are completely new to the system, I don't know which game they should buy. Part of me thinks they should buy Normandy because you can sort of like play in the sandpit, so to speak. You can have these sort of games which are ultimately low stakes while people learn the systems and then dive into the 90 quid box that's going to make you tear your hair out. <laughs> I mean, you can um, reset the campaign. So you could, you know, like pl like play Stalingrad and play a couple of missions to get used to it or just keep replaying the first mission. You could, yeah, you could play three missions and be like, no, the, the Nazis, you know, lost a little bit too much this time round. I would actually Let's... like to reset this, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, but what I, this, is, this is not really criticism. This is just something I thought would be cool. But like, you know what would be, you know how some of our criticisms in the review were like, you know, we really didn't fully grasp how the battle for the city was going. Like, yeah. you know, it would be like, you take this territory, but we didn't know where we'd be fighting for next. Or when we set up the map, we didn't really know where we were or what the stakes were exactly. Right. Um, I was thinking about like, wouldn't it be nice to, if, if the person who won a mission could decide what mission was played next or decide where to push for? Like, or I'm thinking about like old school war games where the campaign is like, you know, you decide what hex to fight for and then yeah. that gets you certain benefits or not. Yeah, no, I think that that would be cool because we did lack a little bit of the geography. Like, it's a really cool magic trick that the game, like, if you laid out all of the tiles that are in the entire game. Which I do in the video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't seen that yet. I'm, I'm keen to have a little peek. It's, it's bigger how. than you think. And also you look at it and it's like, I don't know, it's very funny. It's like it's it's like looking at your home neighborhood on Google Maps and being like, oh, it's that shape. And then but, <laughs> yeah, I think it's slightly, not damning, but it tells you something about the game that we played 15 games in this city and I could not draw you a map of it at all. Right, sure. And, and, and yeah, it is a little bit like, abstract as to when it's like i mean th i guess buildings do get a bit more relevance like individual buildings definitely get more relevance over the course of the campaign it's just hard to place them in the like the whole the, the the sort of the actual geography like the waterworks which i think might have been my hq or near my hq can't entirely remember that mm. building was one that you were continually swearing at as you shelled it over and over again yeah and it um, is a, it is a delight to remove a building but then if you remove a building and, and end up winning that mission 
like the, the game doesn't tell you it's like you will then move into that building like and yes. i think that is that's the kind of subtle design which i would have appreciated more of like because you know you get we have the how thick is the storybook of what you call nazi <laughs> law like where before before every mission you read like sometimes even an entire page of like storytelling yeah. um and that's really welcome and fun but it's also very empty it, it like the book never tells you like Hey, by the way, Nazis, that mission, like, like how many, you, 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 we didn't talk about this in the review, but how much, do you want to talk for a second about how much you hated my plane? Oh God. Okay. Right. So I guess now we're going to get into some spoilers. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. Um, no, sorry. Okay. But before that, what, so before we get into the plane, but in the mid, well, there's a plane surprise. Um, but uh, <laughs> in the mission where it's like, Nazis, you have a plane, there's a waterworks, like, uh, and so you, you have the objective of taking over the waterworks, but the game doesn't tell you like, at the end of this mission, if you win, the waterworks will be yours. Therefore, try and keep it intact if you think you're going to win, or if you think you're going to lose, ruin it. Like, level it. <laughs> but that, there's none of that in the book. So, you know, you just kind of play how you want, and then the scenario moves on, and you don't have a grasp on, um, you know. I, I, You know what it is, Tom? I know I, I always just complain about this game, even though I had a blast, even though we played 15 games of it, even though it's one of the most memorable games I've played for a while. Not yeah. like it's, but I feel like that's because I'm a teacher at school dealing with a super smart kid, and you know right. that teacher will be like absolutely brutal and be like, "You're better than this," you because I think <laughs> I think you can be a legend, and then the teacher is like, you know, let go from the school for being like weirdly aggressive and and getting right. too invested in a kid. That's how I am with Starling Gun. I can see the game this could be. Yeah, and, you just love like, it too much. That's it, Tom. Like this is what this is what true love looks like. I don't know what you're doing with Starling Gun. It's not love. I love it and you don't. <laughs> Shall we get into some spoilers? Okay, right. Uh, slap down the spoiler klaxon. Spoilers. Have I, I think I might have made a spoiler klaxon at some point, but it might just be like a standard air horn sound effect. Oh, well, I like, I always, I, I quite like hearing air horns. Okay, cool. What do we want to spoil first? Well, should we do, uh, just because we've mentioned it already, so it would be rude not to. Should we talk about how much you hated my Nazi plane? I hated your Nazi plane so much. There are so many scenarios sort of weighted towards the start of the campaign, like the first like seven, eight or so missions where Quinn's just had a plane and the plane would hit every single thing in a in a tile for like an absurd amount of damage. Well, yeah. like not on a, uh, you, the max casualties you can inflict on any given unit is one, which is a devastating number to inflict in terms of <laughs> casualties. <laughs> yeah. But it was that you'd roll three dice. There'd be no like range conferred. It was just three dice on a tile and you would just absolutely plaster my poor little gunman who was just sat there, you know, minding his own business. And it forced me to sort of split up my units, but there's no, there was like, there's no that actual would be cover fine. for you to split up into. Yeah, exactly. It'd be fine if I could move all my units like into their own nice, cozy little building. But there was one house and you were going to kill it. Uh, yeah. That plane, I hated that plane. But then there was that lovely mission where I got anti-air, um, which is this lovely, lovely, lovely mechanic where I could play, if I had the anti-air card in my hand, I would play it. And the only thing it does is remove the bomber card from Quinn's hand, which means that you're never Oh no, I'm this... from my hand or deck, right? And, oh yeah, uh, sorry, from, yeah, from yeah. wherever. Um, which meant that like the first few turns of my game were me rapidly scaling down my deck so I could get that bomber card, uh, the anti-air card into my hand as many times as possible. But by slimming down your deck that much that quickly, you have a deck that's super vulnerable to being killed by the very same bomber. <laughs> so the first few turns in that scenario were just absolutely nail-biting. Because you had quite, I think you'd bolstered quite early on, so you had this quite thick deck and I was like just... <laughs> perpetually terrified that this would be the turn that you drew it and I didn't um, but things lined up because I was drawing it frequently enough to sort of offset that risk um, yeah it was nice um, if, we're, if we're doing this I've got to of of all the many and varied things that I um, I complained about how, how much time in our 15 game you tolerated me complaining a lot about this game because I got very oh, yeah. emotionally invested really wanted to win really can't overstate I texted some of my friends who like weren't you they were like oh what'd you get up to today and I was like oh man well, Tom had to put up with me being grumpier than I've been in two years playing a, <laughs> playing playing a particular game, but um, like there was. But don't, hold on, but but Quinn's all your investment in the game, right? All of your like desire to win, it did pay off, didn't it? What do you mean? You, 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 what happened at the end of the campaign, Quinn's? 
you, you're trying to make me feel bad for saying you won the campaign. You won the campaign fair and square. It didn't, do, you, do you think I'm so petty that I'm not going to be? I, that's mentioned in the review. Oh, I just wanted to. I just wanted to like you you're know trying to get a rise out of me. I uh, yeah yeah. I just wanted to taunt you. Yeah, nice try, nice try. The uh, <laughs> have have I since the the campaign thought about the fact that the the semi final mission involved me um, leaving the defense of my anti personnel mines, and that's probably what cost me the mission. Um, and if I had won the semi to final that that particular mission, I would have got into the final mission with the same advantage you did, and probably won the final mission. Um, have I thought about that a little bit? Um, <laughs> a couple times. Have I, a thought. Have I thought about it like every other day since we finished the campaign? Maybe. Um, <laughs> but, but no, I, what I was like that the I I just it's that line in the review that that I that I said that I think you helped me to workshop, but it's like. I wanted a game where I was fighting a campaign or fighting you, but so often I felt like I was fighting the scenario design. And you talking right. about the plane um, has reminded me of like, like I was like I was just saying, and like we got distracted. How much time did I spend complaining about my tanks? Mm. Um, because that, that just being a um, the mission where the theme was like, oh, the Germans have to get the tanks over as reinforcements. Here, Germans, here are your tanks. And I won that mission, so I arrived in the next mission with my tanks. And I kept saying to you, like I was going crazy, like, Tom, I'm looking at the rules in these tanks, and I just don't think they're that good. But the right. whole fiction of the game was saying, like, Germans, you got tanks, go on the offensive, charge a building. And I thought I was losing my mind, because I'm looking at the tanks, like, I asked you to reread the manual several times, because I'm just like, I, I just don't think these are that good. And sure enough, in the mission where I got tanks and was attacking, got absolutely massacred, because and the tanks were relatively useless. And it's it's that... It's that peculiarity of just trying to unpick how I'm supposed to be playing and where the like uh where the holes in the game design are that if, if you try and play this tank like it's a tank, you will lose the scenario. You know what I mean? I I don't know if you if that's necessarily true. Because I think that you neglected to really realize that I like the tanks, right, were way more scary to me than I think you thought they were. Like But that's it. These, it's Sorry. But they're these units, right, that have... They cannot be hit by my normal infantry. And in that scenario, I had nothing but normal infantry. But they can't do anything in return. They can't, That's the no, whole... No, but, but they can suppress. So they move in, right? They're completely impervious to any of my fire, and they just suppress, like, an entire tile. You know, they just get working on that kind of thing. Obviously, there was nothing for them to actually like. If they had area you know. suppressed, yes, but they suppress an individual <laughs> guy in a tile. And then if your deck is slimmer than mine, then that has next to no effect. I'd be better off doing something else with the tanks or removing the tanks from my decks entirely. I do think, like, I, I want to sort of offer, like, because I I think this this game is so, like, this system is so elegant to me that I don't know how much is, like, it's, it's always this question, right, in reviews, when we're talking about games, whether they're balanced, whether they're unbalanced, is like, are we entirely playing correctly versus is the game a little bit wonky? And I, I never know where I quite stand on that. I don't think I'm good enough at games to necessarily like know when it's my fault or when it's the game's fault, if that makes sense. But with Undaunted, there is definitely this feeling that like they <laughs> the tanks were weird in North Africa and they're weird here. There's something that's quite hard, I think, for the designers to reconcile with this idea of having a incredibly powerful, scary unit that doesn't totally skew the balance of a scenario. Because if that tank could do like range damage, I would just not be able to get rid of it. Because like, you would just park it a few tiles away, and my demolitionists, who are my only other unit that can blow up tanks, would have to run across a killing field to go and plant a mine at the foot of a tank as it's like rolling forward. Correct, right? Um, and I think that's. But now I think. We're giving the the people at home a glimpse of of like the kind of conversations we have, which probably is kind of valuable because these are the exact conversations that you and I were having. It's like yes, you and I looked at the tanks when I got them, and we said, well, okay, it makes sense how they're balanced because they they don't want to if if they're invulnerable and dangerous, that's that's absurd, that's too powerful. But the fiction that I was reading about the scenario was still like ah. You know, like, of course the Germans are going to be happy that they've got tanks. Yes, that, yeah. That's what, the Germans in my fiction book aren't going to be like, ah, oh, the tanks are here. But of course, they're not actually very good. So let's <laughs> let's just try not to use them. Like, when you unlock the tanks, when the tanks arrive for the Germans, they present that as an exciting moment. Then you go into a scenario where you look at, where, where, the, where the tanks aren't that game-changing because of balance right. reasons. 
And really, what I think, what I, the thing I wanted to talk about in this spoiler cast is how you and I, halfway through this campaign, were chatting about the fact that of all the legacy games that Shadow and Sedan recommends, so Pandemic Legacy, Gloomhaven, or My City, but, well, no, sorry, My City is actually a misnomer because it is competitive but separate. Um, all those things are you playing the same game or playing cooperatively. This is mm. yet another, like, I think, slightly imperfect example of people trying to figure out how to do a head to head legacy game. Because right. so often the reward you get from finishing a scenario well in a legacy game is a bonus. Mm-hmm. Um, something that rewards you or makes the game easier, something you're excited to get. But that doesn't fit with a with a head-to-head legacy game because if a player wins and their reward is something that will make it easier to win, that's that's not that's not ideal. And then so it the the balancing of it becomes a nightmarish problem for the designer. But you and I were playing with this asymmetric game just constantly trying to figure out where we were going wrong versus where the game was tipping the balance in one of our favors yeah it's like trying to work out how the game has like how the game has upgraded your opponent and hurt you or vice versa and and then trying to play around that fact and like every single time we'd look at a scenario and we'd be like Every single time, I think this is a weird thing about the game where we'd look at a scenario and multiple times we'd go, oh, wow, you're going to have a hard time this game. And then the other person would win. Yeah. Um, I think there is some subtle balancing going on in the background to make sure that things are on an even keel. But like, I can't identify where that balancing is necessarily taking place. I think it's just in the scenario design. But you're correct in saying that like, there are also random elements to how a scenario could play out differently, like bombing a building. You know, if you blow up a building in one scenario, it might not be there in, in, in a later one. And that can drastically skew the balance one way or the other. And I mean, I'm thinking that maybe the way that the game like mitigates against that is like knowing that the Germans will have bombers in one scenario, so the building's going to be pancaked in another, so they should put them in those buildings in a later one to offset the win. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, maybe. Like, uh, but I certainly felt that like, the f- it, it just makes me doubt everything. Like, okay, so um, that that horrific mission where my Germans were, went behind enemy lines and then the entire mission was like, ah, oh, we've been rumbled, time to run home. And you had mm. your entire army and I had three squads that I had to <laughs> race down the line. Oh, yes. Um, like, it's very peculiar, the feeling, because I got massacred in that mission. And mm. I like, I definitely could have delayed my win, but I can't... I. I couldn't see myself getting towards you faster. And yeah, right. you know, like there's things that I could have done, but it felt, but it was very, I just hated the feeling of finishing that mission and not knowing if I lost because I'm an idiot or I was ruined because there's a building that if that building had still been standing, I could have used it as a leapfrog for cover and then maybe gotten out. But mm-hmm. if versus like, well, no, I was probably always going to have a tough time in that mission because there was no building. I didn't yeah. know if I was being an idiot and missing something or playing wrong versus actually the random setup of this mission was going to always make it near impossible for you. Yeah. And like, that's just such a peculiar thing to to try and like pick apart. I don't know. It was very... Uh, yeah, it, you're just you're definitely right on that feeling of like it's 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 always going to be incredibly difficult to balance a competitive legacy game. Like that is something that I really like firmly agree with you on that like it's very hard. It's like the you know the the Call of Duty kill streak problem. You know, rewarding someone for doing well by giving them a thing that makes them do even better. Yeah. Um, and I think for what it's worth, the fact that we were ping-ponging back and forth, you know, a win a piece for the entire scenario is is you know, proof that there must be some kind of, you know, leveling the playing field going on there. Um, But to truly have a competitive legacy game, you need to do some work in, I guess, kind of like redefining what winning means. And this is something... This is something that I talk about in the Oath review and thinking about Oath as a, as maybe the only example of a competitive legacy game that works because it's a game that is very detached from ideas of one person is going to be the de facto winner and if they win, they are necessarily the best player in the best position. I'm not saying that Undaunted Stalingrad needs that kind of approach you know, to necessarily work as a legacy game. It works currently. It's just going to be a little bit skewed because it does have that sort of quite set in stone approach to one person being the winner and one person being the loser of any given scenario. Yeah. I, uh, you know what, what I think offers a glimpse of, um, of what this could be is... Um, Remember, there was some mission I did, which really, I, like, I won, but it didn't feel any harder or easier than the other mission. But somehow, <laughs> my my platoon 
platoon sergeant cart is that what that card is called the head of your the head of your deck the, the, uh, yeah the, big boy the, nazi the big cheese big boy nazi he got yep. a big boy nazi medal didn't he yeah, I, big shiny I, medal. And the 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 Nazi lore I was reading was like, you know, talking about the medal was glimpsing on his chest and he and he was like quite proud of it. And then you get a version of the card which shows the medal and the, the commander is like ever so slightly better. Like and that, a bit more pompous. A bit more pompous, yeah. And I was like, yeah. And it, I honestly felt I, I enjoyed seeing that card for the rest of the game because oh god, it was also 10 initiative, which was super cool. But yeah. like I think when you're dealing with Undaunted, whether I mean, I, I touch on this a bit in the review, but I'll, I'll, I'll touch on it again now because I'm so excited for if they do do this. But it's a game where every card is a character with a name and when they get shot, it's sad. But like, yeah. if, if, you're, if you've got that, then it, 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 lets you, it would theoretically let you do so much stuff that's exciting for the winning player of a scenario that is something other than making the game easier for them. Because mm. like, you know, what if like, I win a scenario and I don't, you know, unlock a tank forever, which is what, what to some extent what the game does. What if I win a scenario and I rescue a prisoner and the prisoner yeah. is like only marginally better than one of my scouts, but like his art is completely different. Like that would feel like such a cool room or like, I don't know, I get to execute um, some famous sniper you get and you still get a sniper, <laughs> but he's not the cool sniper. You know what I mean? Like, right. we, we can do stuff with the human beings. The core of Undaunted is human beings. So the winner yeah. can be rewarded with human stuff while the loser gets rewarded with balancing stuff. Yeah. And, and there is definitely like an aspect of, I think that if the writing was a touch stronger you could have that reward being inside of the of the the nazi law the fashion law <laughs> um but it's sort of the writing we both found the writing to be like very very good for a board game but not necessarily like completely enthralling in the way that we ne like would have liked i guess yeah um yeah so that that didn't act as its own reward for me at least like at the end of a scenario it wasn't like oh i've beaten the scenario can't wait to read you know what what's going to happen next i was more just like getting to the bottom of the paragraph to see what unlock I got. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And and yeah, and and sometimes those unlocks were like I mean that I mean I do want to just for, uh, we're getting pretty long in the tooth in this podcast and I do want to just very quickly like splash a bit of praise on some of the really cool moments that happened in this game. Like the low morale card springing up. Oh uh, yeah, which didn't that's last great. very long in our game, but it's basically a card that is zero uh, initiative and you have to play it if you get it, which completely changes the system because you're trying to predict when your opponent's low morale is going to pop up or you can know when their low morale is going to pop up and you can really strike them, you know, at their lowest. I think that low morale card is just so brilliant because you particularly, I, I for, what, for what it's worth, I tend to have, tended to have bigger decks, deck, excuse me, I tended to have a bigger deck than you. Um, <clears throat> and... Uh, <laughs> And you preferred to have a very small, slim deck. Um, but the the low morale card was so cool because, like, it's not not just because you know that you're trying to predict when it is in your opponent's deck, so it changes that initiative play. But also, it makes having a small deck so much worse because you've yes. got a horrible card in your deck that you want to thin out by, like, yep. you know, like by diluting your deck with tons of cards. Disappointed to see that go. Also, let's talk about another brilliant moment, which is the Romanians. Um, oh yeah! At one point, this is this is one of the the absolute coolest twists in the game. The the Germans get a cool squad of insanely tough veteran Romanians who are like an extra rifleman squad. It's it's fantastic. Yep. But the law is like we don't trust these guys. So I, I I did the worst thing twice. Where to begin with, I was like, well, these guys are so good. I'm not going to use them in this scenario because I think I'm winning. And in the next scenario, yeah, and they might die. Yeah, and in the next scenario, I was like, I don't want them to die, so I won't use them. And then in another scenario, you start with them, and basically, when the the Russians get to the space with the Romanians, what happens, Tom? They become mine. Yes, <laughs> they rebel. They, they revolt. They revolt and join the Soviets, which I could only presume is a real thing that happened in history. Um, yeah. And then you, all those cards that I get. If I'd gotten any of them killed, that would have been great. But I was so <laughs> like, ooh, these boys seem like they're like cool crack commandos. I'm not going to use them and get more getting dirty. And then you got the I entire really squad completely like spick and span, totally clean. Yeah, I, I did get them spec and span, but then in the final scenario, I then didn't really use them correctly because I parked them in a completely empty space, thinking that you were more distracted with other things to not bother going for them. No, you definitely saw them and you did kill every single one of them <laughs> in an act of brutal revenge. That was great. Um, should we talk about the final scenario before we close out? Yeah, let's, that, let's do it. Let's talk about the last scenario. So um, 
I spent most of Stalingrad complaining about scenario design. Tom, I think, I think we we now understand that like you simply just love deck building enough that for you the act of building a small deck and doing stuff with it, like it didn't you you weren't as competitive as me. You weren't as as um, like constantly trying to read the scenario design. If a scenario was I, very hard for you and you lost, you didn't mind as much as me. I also think that I quite enjoy the act of puzzling out the scenario. I enjoyed that more than you did. And I think that might be just because I've played more undaunted. So for me, it's like when a scenario is twisting my arm to play in a different way, that's more exciting to me, I guess. Yeah, yeah, no, sure. That's totally fair. But so, but interestingly, the final scenario, I quite liked and you hated. I despise that last scenario. <laughs> so the final scenario turns Undaunted on its head. Um, it says, okay, this is the grand final battle. Your deck is going to start with one card from every unit. You're going to deploy every unit. And um, once a unit is like has been shot to pieces, um, that's a victory point for your opponent. And you're also still trying yep. to control territory. So it's like a whole choppy, sprawling, messy, unpredictable grand melee, which, and this is if I have a criticism of it, is that like there are... F- there are five territories in in like five bits corners of the city and so mm-hmm. you'll go into the final scenario with at, at its most even one of you controlling three and one of you controlling two and that is like an almost insurmountable difficulty for the other side like just you just start on the having to be on the offensive and i, I really could not it was going to be excruciatingly difficult for me to win which felt like a shame that there's no way to go into the finale cleanly like just just as a straight head-to-head match the finale will always be kind of a disappointment but why did you hate the finale i think i hated it because whereas i just said i kind of enjoy having my arm twisted a little bit to play in a different way that last scenario forces you okay so the rules are here if one of your squads completely gets wiped out the opponent gets a point if you which means if you hunker down a squad, which is a really powerful tool, if you just hunker down one of your units to put more focus into another place. So hunkering down is, unit, is taking a card out of your deck. Oh yes, yeah. If you do that, that squad comes like one step away from instantly dying. So you need to keep everyone in your in your deck so that you have a li- at least a little bit of a buffer against being instantly killed. Or maybe you don't. Maybe I was just playing too cautiously at that point. But it means that you end, you have this scenario where you just have a deck that is so unwieldy and so boggy and so long and there's no real way of predicting what your opponent has at any given time because you're just cramming these units in to stop them from dying and I just found it like way too messy and maybe that's because that last scenario is meant to represent the sort of chaos of this final push. It's this big, explosive, swingy battle but I just found it to be like a bit of a slog because both of us really wanted to protect our units because we knew that getting one of them killed was an entire point lost and we couldn't do these clever maneuvers where you slim down your deck so that you could reasonably expect maybe having two of the same card in your hand at once or three of the same card in your hand to do some sort of big explosive swingy maneuver so you ended up with this very like safe stayed battle where we mostly just stayed in houses and took pot shots at each other hoping for tens to try and take out units yeah. and it was it was boring and I, it was a slog i tell you what though you know i think in the course of this podcast discussion we've we've really zeroed in on on what what to some extent what our problem with with undaunted stalingrad is which is like undaunted is basically like chess right like and you've got to, you've got to look at like it's just so good it's so tight it's so brilliant it's so fun um and you've got to wonder when they were sitting down to design the scenario why did they design the final scenario that way why did they put this emphasis on like variety or experimentalism over what they've built which is an unbelievably tense 15 long campaign of like chess games almost and I that, always feel like that last scenario needed to zero in and be like, and it wouldn't have made sense in the in the in the law uh, for this to be the case. But that maybe that last scenario really should have been like, you know, your squad A and my squad A and your squad B and my squad B just fight over the last scraps of of the. Territory. Oh, so it actually like shrinks rather than it being shrinks big. it right down. So you play this really core game, but then that would be this mark of how much the squads have changed over the game because in scenario one you have pretty much that squad a versus squad b we're fighting over some territory they're all fresh faced but by the end you have these squads that are heavy with the mistakes you've made Mm. because they're just full of reserves and you have this final battle that really represents the fatigue the tiredness the you know the sort of 
both of us at that point were playing squads that were mostly made up of cards that were absolutely oh, useless. No, speak for yourself. My I got reinforcements <laughs> from Squad C, so which you did not oh, get. Oh yeah, that's true. That was a fun reveal. But having that kind of like fatalistic final mission to me would have made more sense than this grand battle, which forces you to play in a way that I think was pretty counterintuitive to how I enjoy the Stalingrad system or and, the and Undaunted dude, system. That's my know. whole problem with it. Like all the scenarios <laughs> that. No, no, no. Seriously though, like in this discussion, like that that feeling you have of the final thing where it's like of the final mission where I just want to play Undaunted and this isn't Undaunted. That's how I feel on every mission where it's like move the tanks from A to B. It doesn't yeah, feel yeah. like Undaunted. However, what what else have we said in this discussion? We've said how much we enjoy the low morale card, which is like yeah. a comparatively dull, simple, but it, it changes the game. By tweaking the game, but not changing what the game is, right? Yes, yes. Um, and that is what I would have would love to see in a future Undaunted scenario, is just more games that are just Undaunted with a small tweak, because those small tweaks are enough to change the game. But if it's you like what you're saying about Flamme Rouge and the weather, right? That small little spot of weather changes how people play the game up to that point. Yes. And it's like, if one building was a little bit damaged, or, or you know, if one squad... Because you do feel the sort of... The, the tension that arises from having a slightly weaker squad. That is almost enough on its own. Yeah, and the casualty system they've got in the game is so good. And you know, you heard me talking about it. I, th I think it, they could have leaned more on it. Like, yeah. Undaunted is so a game about people dying... But in a scenario, you're going to lose one or maybe two soldiers. I, we never lost three. Like, and for some of the massacres you and I inflicted on each other, and it's only ever like, oh, I, I lose a soldier <laughs> and they come back with someone else. Like, I think, yeah, just just keep undaunted, undaunted, and the and do the casualty system more. Yeah. But it was, I mean, like, um, you know, we've, we've basically, this is the sort of complainer-sode about Undaunted. We've just, I think there's a lot of, of you're right, right, that, that there's a lot of us that wants, wants this game to be the best version of itself. You're right, that analogy of like pushing the sort of the smart kid to, to be even smarter is yeah. kind of apt. That like there is so much to love in this box. And like I would unequivocally recommend it to anyone who is a fan of Undaunted. I think there's enough of that core in there that even though some of the scenario designs can maybe prove a bit frustrating, I still think you'll have a great time playing it because the motions are just as good and made even spicier with that casualty system. Couldn't agree um, more. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. And like when we, you've said like, you know, maybe get your feet wet with Normandy before going into Stalingrad. I think I maybe disagree. Unless money's really tight. Um, I think just go straight into Stalingrad. I, I do think it's it's brilliant. And even though the the, the additional sort of like systems and pistons um, aren't like, aren't firing as much as I'd like, they're still cool. Still a great They're bit of machinery to look at and think about and discuss. Yeah. Multiple times after over and over again, over and over again, endlessly. And then again on a spoiler podcast because we can't stop thinking about this game. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, wow, these discussions were cool, but I wish I've, I'm working with the theater of the mind. I don't know what these games look like. Well, you can see Tom and I slap them on camera and discuss them and do things like roll dice and fling cards around on the yep. Shut Up and Sit Down YouTube channel. Yeah, we put like, whoa, low, wait, well, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> we put like loads of effort into those videos and we put marginally less effort into these podcasts. That's Which true. means, what are you doing listening to this? You should watch the video right now. And you don't even need to watch the video. Just, just listen to it. Then it's like a podcast, uh, but if you looked at the screen, there would be someone pulling a silly face on it, probably. Wow, that's a that's a lovely sales pitch for our YouTube channel. We've yeah. been talking for ages, and okay. I'm hungry. I'm hungry too. Should we go and? Uh, I was going to say be hungry together. Apparently, we've been I've been recording this podcast for long enough. So I've forgotten how to be human. Um, <laughs> let's go and eat. That's what you do when you're hungry. Thank you very yeah, much for listening. I'll everybody. go and eat something. Uh, have a great lunch, everybody. You're, you're going to you're, you're going to pack some plug now, aren't you? You're going to America. Yeah, like oh shoot my flight. Oh my god! Right now. <laughs> Bye, everybody.